Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Talking Pharmacy podcast of the year. Happy New Year to all our listeners. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainus, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. So here we are, 2022, another year. I'm sure there'll be lots for us to talk about. Thanks, by the way, to everyone who listened to our Christmas special. Uh, had some great reaction on our socials. Some of you took our end of year awards very seriously, uh, a bit bit too seriously. They're only meant to be tongue in cheek. And uh, and even our Christmas messages from various pharmacy high-ups managed to put some people's noses out the joint, namely those that we forgot to ask to send in a message. Uh, anyone would think we actually planned these podcasts. But of course, anyone is free to send in their Christmas messages, New Year messages, any messages at any time. We'd love to hear from you, in fact. Just send over a, a 20-second sound file or voice up, voice message. And if it's interesting, we'll play it on the pod. Indeed, if there's any topic that you'd like us to, uh, to discuss, then please just get in touch. Okay, that's the preamble done. Let's do good week, bad week. Rob, Happy New Year. Um, could you start us off? Yeah, Happy New Year, Richard. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, I'm going to start off with a good news story Uh and for a number of reasons, which I'll come to at the end. So this week, it's been announced that there is uh, that more than 100 pharmacies across Liverpool are going to be offering a 10 minute point of care test that differentiates between bacterial and viral infections as part of a new clinical service. Why is this a really good story? Well, first of all, it's always nice to see um, community pharmacies delivering more things. And this takes pharmacy into a, into an area which I know has been explored in other parts of the country before. But it's nice to see collaboration between um, community pharmacy in the shape of Community Pharmacy Liverpool, the local pharmaceutical committee, but also Liverpool Clinical Commissioning Group. Um, the service they're doing uses a thing called a February DX test from Lumos Diagnostics, and it's used for patients with an acute cough under a new minor ailment service known as Pharmacy First. It enables rapid diagnoses and appropriate antibiotic prescribing without the need, obviously, for a GP appointment first. Um, so a great bit of collaboration, but interesting that uh, at a time when pharmacy often looks for something centrally driven to be the next thing uh, that will deliver uh, more services to patients. Um, here's a, a great example of a, a local collaboration, something that hopefully over the course of the next two or three years, we're going to see a lot more of as the move to more integrated forms of care takes off. Um, some great comments in the story from both um, Matt Harvey, the Chief Officer at Community Pharmacy Liverpool, but particularly from the Head of Medicines Optimization at the CCG, really suggesting uh, how very how how nicely this this thing lends itself to uh, a community pharmacy uh, approach um, in helping ensure people get the right treatment. Obviously, given all of the challenges currently across primary care. So I'd like to see um, more of these kind of things. It's nice to see one very early in the year. And I would add to what Richard said about um, sending stuff in and collaborating. I'd particularly like to hear any more of these examples of local collaboration between community pharmacists and other parts of the primary care uh, primary care team. Uh, and it's great to see one in the very first week of January and hope to see many more uh, later in the year, Richard. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Great scheme um, in Liverpool, as you said, and, and a fantastic collaboration there. And we are beginning to see some of these 
um, local innovative schemes come through, are we at the moment? There was that the walk-in minor ailment consultations in Cornwall that we did a story on uh, right at the start of the year. So, um, yes, this is uh, this shows great promise, and uh, we'll be we'll be following the scheme in Liverpool. Anything that can reduce unnecessary use of antibiotics uh, has got to be a good thing, and yeah, some superb innovation in Liverpool there. So, yeah, great start. Thanks for that, Rob. Um, Arthur, good week or bad week? Happy New Year, Richard. Uh, just first off to comment on Rob's good week. That is a great service indeed and a great example of collaboration, as he said. And you just mentioned there that the service in Cornwall, I've got a piece coming up later today where, where I spoke to Nick Kay about that and, um, yeah, promising stuff indeed. Uh, unfortunately, it's another bad week from me to kick off 2022. Um, we ran a survey last weekend uh, regarding staff absences during the Omicron wave. Obviously, we've had, you know, record cases uh, of, of COVID. There was, I think, about a fortnight where there was new records being broken every day. And obviously, this has led to huge numbers of people having to isolate. And some of these have been healthcare workers. And some of those have been working in pharmacies, um, which is definitely borne out by our the responses to our survey, which ran, uh, I think, last Friday and Saturday. 87% of, of the respondents said that their pharmacy had had suffered absences during uh, the Omicron wave since, since roughly the, the start of December. Uh, it's a, it, a mixture of either staff being infected themselves or having to isolate because they were a close contact. Uh, and the, the impact this has had on, on workload and stress levels for the remaining staff who have to, who have to come in has been significant. Ninety percent said said that you know stress um, was through the roof, that workload was through the roof. Um, three quarters were concerned about the level of service being uh, to patients being compromised, and this is borne out in the comments as well. That, uh, one respondent said patients are having to wait longer for prescriptions, and that some services such as the new medicine services have to be suspended just because there aren't enough. Um, you know, feet in the there aren't enough people in the pharmacy to to, to handle everything that, that that's coming in, and as has been sort of re- reported widely in the national press, uh, there's there are a lot of stress patients at the moment, um, particularly with the pharmacy collect lateral, lateral flow test service, a huge demand for that. You know, which is on the on the one hand sort of another chance for a pharmacy to 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 get to to get a spotlight, which it doesn't always do, but um, it's not always for for good reasons with this service because because there's a lot of examples of of abuse um being leveled at, at pharmacy teams who, who don't have the tests or who have run out and and with um if, if staffing levels are poor this is only only going to add to that uh, and, and a few people in the comments um to to the survey said that there have already been staff cuts um during the pandemic or or over the past few years because of funding cuts and there just there isn't enough slack in the system to to handle big um absence big absence events like this so so really worrying there um and a mixture of comments from people uh working in multiples one person said that the you know the, the targets from our from our area managers are there's there's no give there so so really concerned about about stress levels there um there was uh, i mean locum locums is always a controversial issue um one contractor accused locum pharmacists of um 
misusing the situation by texting the day before to cancel shifts and then working elsewhere for higher rates. Obviously, there's always this is a, a, a case where there's always sort of two sides to the story. Unfortunately, we didn't have any um, inputs that were clearly from locum pharmacists to, to give another side to the story. But I mean, you can just you, you definitely get the sense that, you know, attentions are running high. Um, it seems to be I mean, cases are still in six figures. It seems that the Omicron wave may have peaked and, and to be on the, the downward slope. But I can imagine that that absences are going to be a big problem for, you know, at, at least another month, six weeks, two months, who knows. Um, we spoke to all the bodies about this, you know, the MPA, CCA, AIM, and the theme that, that shone through there in, in what they all said was that um was was basically the case that you know there's so much has been taken out of the the network in terms of funding and capacity that we're just not you know we're, we're in no fit state to 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 handle big events like this if 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 uh, if the staff aren't there so it's been a really difficult challenging period for pharmacy teams hopefully this um uh I hope. I mean, maybe the the seven day, the seven day shorter isolation period could be having a, some somewhat of a mitigating effect. And if that is shortened to five days, then then we'll see. But um, de- def- definitely a tough time for teams. Yes, Arthur. Pharmacies struggling with staff absences, are just like everyone else. A really good story. These staff shortages beginning to bite, aren't they? And and adding to the enormous pressures that pharmacies are under at the moment. And like you say, Arthur, there's no slack in the system at all and and stress levels going through the roof. And if these absences are, are now beginning to impact on, on service levels, then um, that's, a, that's a huge concern. Rob, did you want to come in on this? Yeah, thanks, Richard. I think there's a, a more general point here. Um, given how things are the guidance and the advice uh, coming out of government seems to be changing and very much watering down um i understand the reasons why but watering down the the processes in the past aren't we going to very shortly get back to a situation where that we had right at the beginning of the pandemic where community pharmacies open door policy anybody can walk in you're not going to know who's who's carrying the virus and who isn't uh you know we already know that people are um are avoiding getting tests if they think they might then have to isolate and I don't think the seven to five is going to make a lot of difference to that. But then we had the the um, the suggestion earlier in the week in some of the press that the government were about to say that people would have to pay for LFT tests and that we weren't going to have any free ones anymore, which now seems to have been rowed back. But I mean, I guess that's ultimately with six billion spent on them already, that's a, that's a cost that the government might at some point look, want to shut off. Well, if we get to that point, then nobody will be getting... Nobody be buying test, tests unless they absolutely have to. So, you know, where's the, where are pharmacies going to stand with this? And I haven't seen any advice yet from any of the pharmacy organisations about how uh, pharmacy professionals should be handling these this particular conundrum going forward. Perhaps, perhaps as the as the thing changes, we'll, we will get some advice over the next uh, couple of weeks. It will be it will be good to see some, I think. So now it's time for our first interview of 2022 with Michelle Riddles, Chief Executive of the PAGB, Proprietary Association of Great Britain, which listeners will know is the consumer healthcare trade body for the industry. 
Michelle took up the role in April 2020, right at the start of the pandemic, which, as we all know, had a significant impact on the OTC market. And we talk about that in the interview. Incidentally, before joining PAGB, Michelle was at Pfizer Consumer Healthcare working on the regulatory side of things. Um, but we mainly we talked about uh, something that happened in October 2021. Now, PAGB and other stakeholders published a national self-care strategy for England. So I asked Michelle to explain why the self-care agenda is so important to the PAGB and its members. And what did she hope the strategy would achieve? Yeah, well, I mean, self-care has always been really important to the PAGB and it's very much been a cornerstone of everything we do because we want to create an environment in which people have the tools to self-care. And as a result of some work via a clinical consensus, um, we um, jointly developed um, with eight other organisations this shared blueprint for the national strategy. And that included organisations such as the National Pharmacy Association, the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, the Association of Independent Multiple Pharmacists and the CCA and alike. And what that was doing is um, trying to bring together some key themes and um, areas within the self-care arena and actually put that out to um, key stakeholders to emphasise why um, self-care and the strategy um, was important. And so um, this team had developed the strategy and then, as you said, it was launched in October um, of 2021. And um, what did it hope to achieve? What were its aims or what are its aims and objectives? Well, there's quite a few in there. I mean, the key piece being that in 10 years time, there were four key things, um, kind of strategies that um, the the strategy wanted to see achieved. One, that um, individuals should understand and be willing to practice self-care. Two, that there should be a cultural shift among healthcare professionals towards well-being and away from a kind of biomedical um, model of care that the system is designed to support self-care and that's where pharmacy more integrated into the primary care pathway and that digital technology is then used to its full potential. So using those four strands, the strategy wanted to really come up with some ways um, that it could, that things could be utilised to ensure that those um, key strategies um, could be working within a 10-year time period. Um, So that was really kind of the key call-out. I guess within that, um, the the plan was that this new system would be created, which then integrates um, the promotion of the everyday well-being and self-care for self-treatable conditions and the management of long-term conditions into the wider healthcare system. And I think what we've seen over... um, you know, a number of years now is that some of the kind of long term conditions for things such as diabetes and high blood pressure have got quite well integrated into kind of a self care establishment. Um, but what isn't being um, fully integrated at the moment is some of the well being things that we just mentioned earlier, but also the self care for those self treatable conditions, which 
um, you know, pharmacists can really help and support. So the kind of things where they would people would go into the pharmacy for advice or to get a medicine or to be referred. And I think some of the kind of key areas within that include kind of making the best use and expanding the community pharmacy service. Um, also enabling community pharmacists to refer people directly to other healthcare professionals. So it isn't just about, you know, oh, this is a product for you. It could be referring someone to a physio or an optician or to a dentist so that they feel when they go to see a pharmacist, they can talk to them as their first point of call and then be directed to an appropriate area. Um, obviously, some of it also includes improved access to um, treatments. And that's where, you know, some of the reclassification side comes into it. But also, I think what we felt was important to help facilitate, um, you know, the integration and support self-care is that community pharmacists were able to actually populate medical records um, as well as see them. So if there was medicines or advice specifically given or referrals given that they could populate medical records. So there's quite a lot in there um, that is being asked for. Um, but we think, you know, that that could be really um, positive going forward. My thanks to Michelle Riddles there. The full interview will be released next week as one of our In Conversation With podcasts. And you'll be able to find it on the Pharmacy Magazine website. Right, let's pick up Good Week, Bad Week again. I'll go next. Uh, my Good Week is for the PDA and its call for pharmacy employers and organisations to do donate uh, £1 per pharmacist employee or member to Pharmacist Support, which is the profession's charity, as we all know. Now, if you were being really cynical, which I'm not, by the way, um, you could say this was a piece of one-upmanship from the PDA and uh, an unsubtle attempt to show other organisations in, in a less generous light. Um, remember, the PDA is a long-standing supporter of pharmacist support. But as I say, I'm not being cynical. And actually, if all the pharmacy bodies and retail groups came together in the way that the PDA suggests, then a heck of a lot of money would be raised for pharmacist support. And uh, my goodness, with the levels of stress and burnout being what they are in the profession and demands for their services rocketing, pharmacist support need all the financial help they can get. So hats off to the PDA for putting its money where its mouth is. Um, it's been donating £1 for each of its members every year since 2018 and has now raised over £150,000 for pharmacist support, which is a great effort. So great week for the PDA. And let's see if anyone takes up their challenge. Um, Neil, uh, last but not least then, uh, for you, who's had a good week or a bad week? Yeah, well, happy new year to all our listeners. Um, I've gone for Dr. Richard Vultry, who's the former chair of the British Medical Association's GP committee. And we interviewed him. Uh, a very interesting interview. Um, obviously, stepping down, it might be a debate as to how much influence he's now got and, and what he actually says how uh, pertinent those words are now given he's, he's 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 no longer in that position but nevertheless you know very interesting interview we a lot's been spoken about the community pharmacist consultation service in, uh, in recent weeks and months um and all the problems around that and he was very um brutally honest really about about that service um calling on the government to inst immediately review it i, I I, arguably i would say he probably didn't go far enough i'd say immediately scrap it um but he wants it reviewed um 
And he made these comments starting in an interview, as I say. And, you know, he gave us a, a real insight into just how difficult and how problematic that service is. He's a, a practicing GP in Leeds. Um, and he's, he's very critical. He said, you know, it, it, the whole service was supposed to make it easier and quicker for patients to be seen for minor illnesses. Um, but all it does is complicate patient referrals from practices to, to pharmacies. It's bureaucratic, time-consuming, and increases the workload and stress of, of GPs. Um, now, what was fairly interesting, I, I wasn't particularly aware of, I don't know about you guys, but another sort of problem, CPCS, that, that he's he's encountered is, that, is around free prescriptions. So he, he, he said that it, it actually makes it more difficult for eligible patients um, to get free prescriptions, um, arguing that the previous minor ailment scheme that, that they had there um, allowed exempt patients to access more medicines without paying and, and, and just a bit a larger range of medicines but under the CPCS patients were returning to practices from pharmacies upset that they they, they were being asked to pay for these uh, uh, medicines now he's criticized NHS England for establishing a system that he just quite honestly and simply thinks isn't working um, and he gave us as I said he gave us an insight into exactly what happens when he, when he and his staff try to go through this, this, this process, and this is what he said. He said it just takes, it just takes time. I was sat with my reception staff to work through what happens when they receive a call, and it takes them up to ten minutes to work through the questions and the form filling that's required. We could have dealt with that patient in that time. At the same time, the patient is being held on the phone. It means other patients are getting irritated because they can't get through. Uh, and that's because the reception staff are trying to deal with a particular patient's problem and direct them to a more suitable service. So. That, I think we kind of had an idea that, that 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 was the case, you know, amongst amongst uh, GPs, and that was the, that was one of the reasons why it's just such a problematic service. But it was just interesting to hear his own personal experience of that. Um, the other thing that was interesting um, uh, during the interview that came up that he that he raised was the you know the government incentivizing GPs to increase referrals to pharmacies through this service, and we know that it hasn't simply just hasn't been enough. Uh, referrals um, through to, to pharmacies by GPs. It, it could be a range of reasons for that. Um, and by all accounts, we've heard that GP surgeries of uh, GPs, some GPs have not been referring through the proper channels. They've just been informally doing it and just sending patients willy nilly to, to pharmacies, which has not been the right way to do it, as we know. Um, but he's he, he's criticised the government specifically for this incentivization uh, uh, process that, they, that they've that they've embarked on and. As, yes, it's understandable on the one hand why he's criticising that because 200, that £250 million winter access package that was announced last year for general practice, that came with a proviso that GPs engage with the CPCS. And there are other um, uh, kind of strings, I think he describes it as strings, attached to the CPCS, which hinges on whether or not G uh, GPs get this extra this, this funding. And he, he says this is not a good thing. And I kind of agree, I agree with him when he said, that ministers just simply need to trust general practice to get on with it. Just trust pharmacists to get on with it and general practice. You know, it needs to be a level of trust. Why are there all these strings attached? Now, I, I pharmacy will say, look, you know, it needs to have, we need to have this kind of incentivization because at the end of the day, if you do just trust GPs to get on with it, they won't. Um, but I, I, I'm not so sure. I, I just think, and I can, I can kind of playing devil's advocate here, I can kind of see it from, from, general practices point of view you know i'm not sure whether first of all i'm not sure whether the the strings attached to, to to some of this funding is going to work 
Um, and that's purely because the service itself is just engineered in a, in a very poor way. And, I, and that's where I agree with, with Dr. Vultry. Um, I do think it needs to be reviewed. And I do think once it's been reviewed and once it's been well, scrapped, as I, as I said earlier, and replaced with a, pharm- a proper pharmacy first minor ailment service, as we have in Scotland, um, then you'll see, I th- well, the hope is you'll see um, GPs, um, uh, but they won't, they won't even be involved. You know, so that, that's the point. So I, I, I agree with Dr. Vultry on, on many of the points he, he came up with. Um, and for that reason, um, you know, I, I, my good week goes to Dr. Richard Vultry. Oh, the CPCS. Oh, it's, it's not working for anyone, is it? We discussed it several times before on the, on the podcast. Uh, doctors hate it or don't know about it. The patient journey, as he was saying there, Neil makes makes no sense and, and referrals are so low that contractors pharmacy contractors aren't making any money out of it anyway um sajid javid keeps calling for a pharmacy first type service which we presume he's kind of referring to a, a scottish type service but I, I just don't think that's ever been in nhs england's thinking um now or previously I mean, it obviously tends to be ruled out on a self-referral mechanism for minor ailments tends to be ruled out on the grounds of cost really but it, yeah it's just not working for for, for anyone is it um Arthur, do you want to come in on this? Um, yeah, so just to say, I thought it was a great interview, Neil. Um, and Richard, as you say, we've talked a lot about on the part about the CPCS and the sheer waste and nuisance and bother uh, for not much money that it creates for pharmacy teams. So it's really interested to hear sort of the other side of the equation uh, phrased so eloquently by, by Dr. Vautry that I mean, it sounds like roughly equivalent, you know, the the the, the frustration that GPs have with have with the service as compared compared to what pharmacy teams face, and I th- I think that's an interesting point about the um the in the winter incentive sort of rankling a bit. Uh, if the point is to create, uh, obviously the the the, the overarching. Uh, point of the service is to treat patients where in, in in the in the right treatment setting but also it's to sort of create and foster good relationships between uh different parts of primary care um particularly you know gps and pharmacies but if you're saying to gps you're not getting this money unless you <laughs> unless you uh go and talk to to the nice pharmacist down the road i'm not sure if that's if if i would I, th- I think I might be a little bit ticked off with that. I might be a little bit ag- ag- away. <laughs> um, so I, ca- I can sort of see see where he's coming from. But yeah, I thought I thought it was a great interview, Neil. Yeah. Rob, what, uh, what's your take on, on this um, bit of a sorry mess, really, isn't it? Or I guess you, you recognise the challenge and go and talk to the nice pharmacist down the road as Liverpool CCG have done and you come up with spending some money locally on beefing up the system with, with something that they, they obviously want to have in their area i don't know i mean there's a couple of things that occur to me about this i mean it's on the face of it you've got to be disappointed that the the chair of the the former chair of the gp negotiating body um is attacking a a, um a service that pharmacy and general practice are meant to be collaborating on together um and suggesting it ought to be reviewed um does that mean that there weren't any discussions between uh the the gpc and the psnc in the run-up to the launch of this service which might have smoothed some of these things out uh maybe there were maybe there weren't but i suppose looking at this more positively and maybe turning this into a an opportunity the one of the things that the the gp cpcs has done is it's created 
it's created a pathway that that didn't necessarily exist before. And yes, you know, not all GPs are using that pathway, and 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 Neil's rehearsed some of the reasons for that. It's quite clunky for them, and it can be quite time consuming for receptionists. But the pathway is now there, and I think that. You can say, well, this doesn't work, let's let's abandon it. Or you can say, how do we how do we take the learning from the first couple of years of this and then turn it into something that's going to be better and more beneficial and going to reach more people? And there's clearly an interest, I think, from from pharmacy in doing that because we haven't seen the pull through of the number of services. But I think what Dr. Vautry is also suggesting is there's a there's an interest in among general practitioners in having that review as well because they want to get it more right because they can see the opportunity. Um, of actually shifting, lifting and shifting a number of people who would would be standing on their doorstep and moving them into pharmacy. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that they're concerned about the fact that some people who might have got free prescriptions are being asked to pay. I think that was probably all, always part of the plan. Um, but clearly that's something else that might want to be addressed in, um, in, any, in any review. So I think the, the big message, you know, now from me, to, to me is... How do you use that the experience that we've had um, positively to build on that and to turn that into something which maybe even the the Secretary of State for Health wants when he keeps talking about a pharmacy first scheme. Interestingly, that's the name of the scheme in Liverpool um, and turn it into something that's actually going to be beneficial and not lose, not see this as a complete waste of time. You know, there are experiences in here which could go to make the next thing better or, or the thing that evolves out of it better and, and, and gets to more people and delivers more things well you you could do a lot worse than looking to the scottish model and and having in place self-referral i think that that would be the the answer to me um uh, neil your your last take on this then yeah i was just going to just mention it really at the end it's a good week for dr Vultry for saying that the service should be reviewed and for giving us an insight into how bad it how problematic it is it would have been a great week for dr Vultry had he said the service should have been scrapped and completely um, looked at again and gone down a, a Scotland pharmacy first model. That would have been a great for Dr. Vultry. Right, we've just got time for a quick any other business. Now, I've got something. Um, you know that Twitter can be nasty and pleasant at times, but it could also be really funny. And uh, this uh, really made me laugh. Uh, it was something posted by uh, a good friend of the pod, uh, Baba Malik, uh, who was referring to the... The new registration exam for, for trainee pharmacists in Great Britain, the Northern Ireland, which goes by the rather grand title of Common Registration Assessment for Pharmacists. And as Babip uh, remarked, uh, let's hope no one finds an acronym for it, the Common Registration Assessment for Pharmacists. I'll just leave that with you. Um, Neil. Have you got any other? So still making me laugh. Um, Neil, have you got anything? <laughs> yeah, I've um, not, not quite as um, amusing. I'm going to take the much more serious tone on my one comparison. But uh, uh, Novak Djokovic, um, which uh, this whole episode with the uh, Australian Open, they've, um, Australia has revoked his visa for a second time. He's insisting he has a right to remain in the country unvaccinated. And, and uh, Australia, I think, quite rightly have... Um, revoked his um, uh, visa and I hope they put him on the first plane, first available plane and, and, and deport him. Um, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing his supporters, uh, whoever they are, Serbians or even non-Serbians, whoever his supporters, you know, saying that he's been 
treated awfully and that he's uh, even I think his mother said that he was he suffered torture which is absolutely ridiculous um, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing of, of that lot really to be honest he's the bottom line is he's unvaccinated um, he's uh, potentially a health hazard to, to many people in the country if he goes in there unvaccinated to, uh, and yet there he is swanning around he's a superstar tennis player I have a right to do what I want he made his bed now he's got to lie in it and um, I just hope and, and the other thing just to say about this whole uh, situation with uh, Djokovic being unvaccinated given his profile in sport in the world where he's a huge name a huge personality you know unvaccinated what kind of message is he sending out again to to people who are who have this whole battle about trying to get people to be to get the vaccine, and yet we have this careful my language, but we have we have this this superstar tennis player who's um, who's sending out the wrong message to people about this whole battle to get vaccinated. So I just hope that Australia put him on a plane, get rid of him, and um, and that will be a little lesson to Mr. Djokovic. Yeah, extraordinary situation, this this Djokovic business. And we're recording this podcast on the Friday. So at the moment, we don't know whether he, whether he is going to be on a plane or whether he's appealing. But yeah, well said, Neil. I agree with all of that. It's, uh, ah, yeah, a right mess. And, and, and he set the terrible example. Um, Rob, any anything from you? Well, just on Neil's one there. I mean, I thought Neil was bouncing like a ball on the top of the net there. I wasn't quite sure which side of the net he was going to come down on. But I'm glad he, I'm glad he picked a side in the end. Uh, you wouldn't like to wouldn't like to be on the wrong side of Neil, would you? Um, no, I. Any other business? I've not noticed anything going on, Richard. You know, I've not noticed anything about garden parties or you know interesting challenges for royals, or even you know now we've got Chinese spies in Parliament. So I don't. You know, nothing's going on, is it? So no, I don't have any other business, Richard. None at all. Not a single jot of any other business. It, it's all quiet, isn't it, Rob? But by the way, could you could you just pass me that bottle of Chablis you've got, um, please? This is supposed to be a, a working podcast. Um, and uh, Arthur, to, to wrap things up then, um, what have you got? Uh, no other business for me. I think Neil's, uh, Neil's done his so well that I think happy to, happy to hand it to him this week. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, well, that was really enjoyable. First first podcast of the year. That, that does wrap it up. Um my thanks, as always, to Neil Arthur and Rob. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from all your usual podcast providers. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. We'll be back again next week. But for now, thanks very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>